Konnichiwa. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Kia ora, Catherine. Konnichiwa, Jane. Well, it's Halloween we're recording this on. That's and right. I would say happy Halloween, but I don't observe Halloween myself. Are you up for anything this Halloween? No, I don't. I But I tend to give people gifts that mm -hmm. are Halloween. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, recently we had a retreat and uh, some of the gifts, the chocolates were Halloween. They were. And they were a hit. They Not were. because they're Halloween, because they're really tasty, but... Yeah, it's really in that kind of only in shape or format, katachi dakere, right? Mm. Only in format, but not not celebrating it. I don't get it. No, no, me either. <laughs> I do like the um, All Saints Day, though, which is the 1st of November, visiting your family grave, taking care of your ancestors, all that thing, which is what Halloween's actually about. Mm. And the reason we're talking about Halloween today is quite the situation for Shibuya, right? Shibuya... <laughs> Yes. One of the biggest sort of towns, I would call it a town, <laughs> in Tokyo. It's like a little kind of area in Tokyo, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And they just get so many visitors coming to Shibuya to experience the Scramble Crossing on Halloween. Exactly. Costume. And, and I don't know what people are actually doing there. Have you ever been there in Halloween? No, because I've been too, too not frightened, but just afraid of how to get home from there. <laughs> so, it's yeah, super busy. It. So many people yeah. collate there and I think it's not unsafe. It's just there's a lot of people and a lot of stuff gets put on the ground mm -hmm. um, and left on the ground. Um, mm -hmm. And even the little tidy Kiwis who are little tidy Japanese people later on tidy up. It still is uh, mm -hmm. a real mess that they leave behind. So I think this year the Shibuya mayor has said, not in my town and um, banned people. Yeah, so I was there recently and there was huge signs up saying there is no Halloween happening here in Shibuya <laughs> this year. Do not come here. I was like, whoa, I was in um, English and Japanese and things. Yeah. And then I see on the TV that they have blocked off the Hachiko yeah. statue. They that have. is big because Hachiko has a long line in front of it every day pretty much people lining up to take a photo with the hachiko statue what's hachiko you might be saying it's the dog right hachiko the dog statue where people go to meet in shibuya right it's the meeting place and that's been blocked off yeah like actually covered up <laughs> poor wee dog yeah so i don't know what quite what's happening and i think since tonight as we are recording this it's the 31st of october that it'll be maybe from tomorrow it's open okay because no one's going to come and do halloween on the first of november are they or are they i don't know maybe there's going to be the a rest of the week till we get yeah. through saturday and sunday and... could do although i have yeah. to say in this neighborhood where i am in the last week there's been quite a there's quite a few bars in my area and people have been dressing up and going into the local bars which is interesting they've been crowding in the streets I have never seen that in this area in the past year. So maybe all of the Shibuya people are coming on over to Nishi Azabu. Mm -hmm. I don't know, but there you go. Yeah, quite remarkable and, and just such a big, I guess it's a culture of Tokyo, a culture of Shibuya especially, that this is not happening this year. There you go. So who do we have on the show this week, Catherine? On this episode, we have Jude Menezes, who is the coach of the 
field hockey. I know in Japan they call it field hockey as opposed to ice hockey. Right. The field hockey team, it's the women's field hockey team, Sakura Japan. He spent time in New Zealand as assistant coach for the Black Sticks women's team. And he's brought all his superpowers in hockey as a former Indian Olympian in the sport mm. uh, into Japan and tells us a really amazing story. Yeah, it's another great story. I was so interested to hear about how he's going and how he's managed this. He hasn't been here that long. And it's another story of a different sport. We often hear about rugby, but yeah, he's another sport that is actually has a professional league in this country. Who knew? Who knew? And it does have a little secret following. I've been doing a sort of survey of people that I've met, asking them if they know much about hockey in the last week or so, Jane. Mm. And there's a few who are secret hockey lovers and have played it during their uh, universities. I think KO has a team. Okay. Uh, so that's interesting. I didn't know that. But we mm. learned a lot about hockey. We learned a lot about the way leaders are as coaches of teams. And mm. it was super great to listen to Jude. Right. Well, let's hear it from Jude and happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> Kia ora, Jude. Welcome to the trans... No, it's the wrong podcast. Let me start again. That's my <laughs> other podcast. Kia ora, Jude. Welcome to the Jandals in Japan podcast. Great to have you on the show today. Kia ora, Jane and Catherine. Uh, thank you for having me on the show. Yes, we like to start off with a warm-up question. So our question for you is... What is a Japanese sport or hobby you have never tried that you would like to? Sumo wrestling. Oh, what is it about sumo that you like or are interested in? Well, it, it's, it gets over pretty quick. So, uh, you know. It is, uh, it is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also just a massive uh, test of strength. So, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty cool that uh, you test your strength real short and sharp, done and dusted. <laughs> I was not expecting that one. How about you, Catherine? What, what well, would you do? I Yeah, well, for me, let me see. I remember back when I studied Japanese, we had an hour learning judo. But I always thought judo would be really cool to, to learn in Japan because what I loved with that, even that one-hour lesson, I could go home and flip my brothers in the lounge room like, it's all in the hip. Well, it's all in the hip. I might be corrected by a judo expert, but it's a lot of hip strength. And I found I could do that. Even men, you can flip men. So I think I'll go for judo as the mm. sport that I'd love to give it another try in Japan. Mm -hmm. What about you, Jane? Well, I used to do karate and I accidentally found myself in the most like hard out version of karate there is that there's different schools of karate, right? And so it, I didn't realize that there are actually nicer, not so punishing types of karate out there. So I think I would like to find, um, get back to karate, but doing uh, a, a less kind of violent one with less contact, right? Less contacty type one. Um, and also Aikido looks interesting to me as well. It's it's what they teach the, pol like they teach the police judo as well, right? But Aikido is how you neutralize people, right? You, um, you know, who are trying to attack you. It's all about sort of, yeah well coming them down you mean uh, yeah like like getting them under control like you know with right, okay. different twisting their hands around and stuff you know um so that yeah so that looks very interesting to me as well yeah oh well please we, tell me if you start doing any of these sports because i want to steer clear of you guys so <laughs> 
Hey, but Jude, I want to say, hey, Jude, you know, I'm sure you've had that many, many times, but we really welcome you to the show. We're so privileged to have you as a former Indian Olympian. Uh, you've had 133, right, international test matches in your sport, I believe. And uh, you migrated into New Zealand in 2002 with your family. And amongst other things, you were the assistant coach there for the Black Sticks women's team. Uh, and now you're in Japan as head coach of the Japanese women's hockey team, the Sakura Japan. Yay. And so we wanted to put your full bio in the show notes later on, but hear your story. Goodness me, tell us a little bit more about your background and what brought you to New Zealand and then brought you over to Japan. It's a long story, but I'll try to trim it down the best that I can. Um, so yes, uh, I played my hockey in India. Uh, obviously, I'm of Indian origin. I um, moved to New Zealand in 2002 after I retired and I just worked in a normal job until I got back into hockey in 2010. And then uh, I, I got into the New Zealand Black Sticks Women's Program in 2014. I took on quite a few different roles. I started off as a goalkeeping coach because my background, I, I was a goalkeeper. And then uh, doubled up as a manager because we we traveled with only six six staff so you had to multitask and uh you had to do sort of uh, dual roles and then i gradually got in as an as the assistant coach and and then finally at the uh tokyo olympics i went as the assistant coach for uh, for the black six women wow you were at the tokyo olympics uh, yes, I was. I uh, was at Rio as well. Uh, Rio, I was. I went as a manager and goalkeeping mm. coach. Well, of course, uh, you were at the Olympics as a player in the past, right? And then and on the coaching side, but you were here in Tokyo for the, the Olympics that almost didn't happen, right? And uh, it's a bit bit different because uh, no crowds, right? So uh, mm. you're at the Olympic Games, the, the biggest sort of sporting stage in the world, and uh, no crowds. But yeah. it was superbly well-conducted Olympic Games, despite not having the crowds. Was that where you got this, maybe uh, the insights into Japan from mm, that trip here for the Olympics? I did come into Japan in uh, in 2019 with the Black Sticks. We came in to have like a practice event. I have been following, because we scout other teams quite uh, closely, or our position, so um, I've always liked the way the Japanese played their hockey, the style of hockey, and it's quite attacking. And it was similar to what we did in New Zealand as well. Um, that at the time when I was involved, and uh, I sort of uh, like at that stage, thought to myself, well, "This would be a pretty interesting team to coach." And then, uh, yeah, uh, things fell in place after the Tokyo Olympics, and uh, I applied for the role basically, and uh, yeah. I got it. And, you got uh, it. <laughs> so it was posted somewhere that you could apply for it. Uh, it I think that it was posted pre-Olympic Games. I'd sent in my CV at that stage, and then I got uh, I got a call after the Olympic Games. That is sweet. What do you love about hockey? What is it about hockey that draws you in? It's it's a fast game. They're exciting. It requires a lot of skill. Um, because you're you're doing everything at 100 miles an hour, basically, with and controlling with a with a stick. Also, the um, with the women's game, 
there are a lot of more more subtleties than there are in the in the men's game. So you can actually see those subtleties in the women's game. So for me, that's quite exciting because you can see the change of speed and uh, you know the skill factor. It's more pronounced hmm. in the women's game. So for me, that's more uh, exciting. Having played the men's game on the flip side, it's it's a more power packed, faster sport. Yeah, so that kind of keeps me uh, interested. So I follow both men and women's hockey because we take a lot from men's hockey and we add into women's hockey. So a lot of the trends come out earlier in in, in the men's game, and uh, that's quite exciting because it keeps changing. It's it's an ever evolving sport. It's also a family sport. So you know, generations uh, sometimes in Europe, like two three generations of hockey players uh, are all there on the field on a Sunday playing you know, juniors, proper senior hockey, and then masters hockey. So it's a family, true family sport. So for me, that's, uh, you know, it's an all-inclusive sport, men and women. I mean, that's uh, uh, what I really love about it. I'd love to hear, you know, your your thoughts about arriving in Japan and starting working with the the team in Japan and having come from India and then New Zealand and then Japan, what was the thing that was like, oh my, oh my, I was not expecting that? Japan is very different. We were very fortunate in New Zealand to have a very structured high performance program. Hmm. Hockey is quite a, a reasonably well known sport in New Zealand and quite a popular sport. It's not quite so popular in Japan. Um, so it's not one of the, the marquee sports, if you like. So uh, you don't get the same amount of popularity and following uh, it's a small community it's a very close community but it's a it's a small community so um i think that was a, and continues to remain a challenge it's uh it's different mm. it from india where it's it's the national sport yes, so yes. everything is hockey and funding is unlimited and like you know those kind of things so it's a bit different when you you still Working in the same sport, but the spotlight is not quite as bright as what you're used to. Yeah. How does that help you? Does it help you that the spotlight is not so bright, that you can really blend your own, you know, Olympian spirit, your, the learnings from New Zealand, the learnings from the men's game into that a little bit more easily because you're actually not in the spotlight? I think, yeah, you're right, Catherine. Right? We, we can, I can do a little bit extra uh, i do have a, f a little bit of a free hand to to do things uh on the flip side it, there are quite a few systems that are already set and are quite rigid there's room to maneuver in some areas whereas some will won't budge basically how do you get the japanese women's team right sakura japan team japanese women to follow you as a coach what is it that's key to bring them along with you? I think it's important to relate firstly to the culture, understand. So when I'm, when I'm coaching, I'm, I'm looking for understanding because it's, it's easy. It was easier in, in New Zealand where I could just say something in English and I know that you've understood it. But in, in Japanese, I look for understanding. So um, we do a lot of video and like, you know, there are different types of, people and different styles of learning. So I myself, I'm a kinesthetic learner. So I have to actually do things to understand. I, I make sure I, after the video, we actually walk through it 
for the ones like me who don't understand verbally or just if you say it visually, I may not quite get it, but just having done it and doing it kind of aesthetically, I kind of uh, look for all, all those learning styles. And I think that has helped quite a bit because uh, Japanese culturally are very shy. So even if they don't get it, they're not going to tell you that, that they don't get it. So I actually have to, I, I seek understanding more than anything else with my coaching. And that's where I try to connect with the team. Fabulous. Yeah, that's really fabulous because that also translates to anything in Japan when you're in business in Japan, making sure you've got your counterparty understanding you. Is there any tip that you might have as to how you, how do you read people? How do you do that in your actual daily life with yeah, what the does team. a Japanese you, person yeah. who understands look like what do they look like yeah. yeah what what do you see and you're like ah she's got it some they believe in eye contact and when I'm talking to people I'm, I'm, I'm looking at them in the eye and sometimes you can actually tell somebody who's got it just by looking at them it, it would be very embarrassing if I went to someone directly and say oh no I don't think you got this but I, I actually go to them later on and, and say yeah can you can you talk through the scenario and try to put a different spin on it. So I'll try to get them to understand. I'm asking them for something different, but also checking that you actually get what I'm saying. You have to approach it a bit more subtly in a non-invasive way. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah I, you're doing it yeah. later on. You're not yeah. embarrassing them in front of others. You're doing it subtly. You're getting them in that usual or one of the really true and tried methods is to have someone relate something back to you. Okay. And you, then you can find out how much they've they've heard. And are you working with a translator them. too? Then, uh, yeah. Yes, I do have a translator mm. that makes things uh, a lot easier. And yeah, also would. tricky, right? <laughs> to use the translator, right? Tell us yeah. a little bit about that because for a lot of new people coming to Japan, this is a reality of your work: is that you will be working with a translator, and you might not have done that before. I'm imagining you probably never used one much. No. I had one before, and I think it's 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 knowing when to stop. Um, um, get caught into into your, in, in, into your own flow of your explanation of what you're trying to um, get across to the team, and then you realize, oops, I've got to actually stop to let the translator in here. And initially, little mm. challenge. <laughs> yeah. So has that changed the way that you deal with your team? Thanks yes. to this, you have to slow down, right? And and take breaks. <laughs> That's why right. I'm understanding. Yeah. I have slowed down a bit. I have tried to make a conscious effort now to keep my sentences shorter and then take mm -hmm. breaks and let the translator in. And then, yeah, so yeah. just get in and out. And the role of the translator, I guess, is to become you, right? I see a lot of translators who step into your shoes, the shoes of the person talking, and they give the same emphasis and the same grunts and groans and, you know, <laughs> smiley faces and all of that as if they are you when you're speaking. Is that how your translator is with you as well? Um, it, we're trying to get there. And uh, yeah. I've, like the message I've said is like, you need to deliver my message. And again, I, I understand Japanese is a very tricky language. So something, when you say something, very basic in English, it might take two or three sentences to translate in Japanese. So sometimes I'm wondering like, what? <laughs> what I just said, so let's much? have a break. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> do you, do you uh, have any, yeah, that's interesting. Do you have any interesting stories or challenges or incidents that came up 
uh, after you arrived in Japan that you can relate to us how what happened and and how you got through that well I signed my contract in November 2021 and I only got into Japan in February because of the COVID situation uh, the day I left New Zealand was the day Japan closed their borders for foreigners. I didn't have my uh, my resident card because I was going to get that when I arrived into Japan. So yeah, I left home and I got into Japan two and a half months later. So I was living in hotels for two and a half months, not knowing when I'm going to get into Japan, knowing that I couldn't go back into New Zealand because I was 10,000 on the waiting list. So, oh my goodness, you were in limbo. I was in limbo for two and a half months. And and during that time, we actually played two international tournaments. (laughs) (laughs) You did not. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So, I started off in Korea and I was supposed to go back to Japan with the team. uh, And that didn't happen. So, I was in Seoul for a month in a hotel. Right. There was another tournament in Oman. And then uh, I requested Japan Hockey, uh, instead of me sitting in a hotel, can you send the team 10 days earlier to Oman and then uh, we can actually have a training camp and play. And they agreed to that. And then uh, I had a a training camp Mm. with the girls in Oman and uh, came back to Japan with the team. Finally. Um, Oh, my goodness. There's a little bit of a twist to to that as well. Now, again, the finally get into Japan, finally land in Tokyo. And then 20 of us on that flight from Oman test positive. Oh. So now (laughs) I'm in Tokyo, but now I'm in a quarantine hotel for 10 days. (laughs) And by that stage, I'm done. I said, I just need to go home now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. Bit of a mission getting into Japan. And it was quite a challenge. And at that stage, I kept telling myself over and over again, if the New Zealand borders were open, I would have gone back home and I would say, I would say stop this job, I'm done. <laughs> but you stayed. You stayed. I stayed. I stayed. Yeah. So what then, after all of that, were, were your sort of aspirations for the team? What was your mandate for yourself? I want this team to do X. And how are you leveraging that most recent experience with the New Zealand team, perhaps? My goal is to get Sakura Japan into the top six of the world and uh, to be the best team in Asia. So uh, we, we just returned from the Asian Games uh, and we didn't have quite a, an outing that I expected. We got knocked out in the semifinals on penalties. So uh, was uh, And we lost one game in the tournament and probably the most important game. But, but we leave to India in two days' time and... Um, we go to play the Asian Champions Trophy, which is the top six teams in Asia. So a um, bit of an opportunity to redeem ourselves there. And then in, in January, we go for the Olympic qualifiers. And we most probably have New Zealand in the same pool as us. So that'll be quite interesting. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh that'll challenge you, won't it? Where, where is Japan ranked at the moment? What's their current ranking? Uh, we're, we're ranked at number 11 after the 11, Asian Games. We were 10 at the Asian Games, but we okay. lost, dropped, we dropped ranking. And when I took over, we were 14. Okay. So by three. You've been as high as 10. Yes. And for context, where is New Zealand currently? 
I think New Zealand is nine. Oh. And, yeah. Hmm. It is there, thereabouts. So very close. Oh. Wow. And so who's this world champion then? It must be. Netherlands. Oh, the Netherlands. I was oh, going to say cool. India, but is Netherlands India quite high on the rankings for women's uh, hockey or is it more men's hockey? That it is seventh. Uh, seventh in the world for women's ho women's hockey and number three in the world for men's hockey. Mm -hmm. I just have to ask, where are these players coming from? I like because my children go to Japanese schools. I've been very involved in the education system here in Japan, and I have never come across hockey once no. so far. Where are these yeah. players coming to you from? So, uh, mainly at the top level, they come from uh, four professional teams. So, Coca Cola has got a team based in Hiroshima. Uh, Sony has got a team based in Gifu. There's another team called Nanto Bank. And there's another team called Glaxo Smith Klein, the pharmaceutical company, mm -hmm. which is which is based in Toshiki, Nara. Mm -hmm. So uh, all the top elite athletes come from here, but they come from universities as well. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and the universities are spread across, uh, across the country. So uh, not many from Tokyo, though. I could imagine there's not many hockey fields in Tokyo to play on. So when are these players starting to play hockey, though? It must be like high school at the earliest, right, that they're encountering the sport hockey. Yeah, so in school, the school hockey system is very well set up. So is the university system. So they have a good grounding, probably a better grounding than we do back home in New Zealand in terms of the organized structure that they have in school hockey. Uh, and university hockey. Mm. And they play a lot of hockey. Uh, they're playing even in the like the company teams that I pick my players from. They train five days a week mm. and they, they get employed. So they are professional hockey players. So they work at the company in the daytime and then they train in the evening, right? Yeah, yeah. I think There's work. nothing like that in New Zealand, is there, for New Zealand women hockey players or men hockey players at all, right? Oh, no, it's quite uh, amateur sport in, in New Zealand. So a lot of our athletes back in New Zealand have to work or are studying full-time. So it's uh, And then they play hockey. So uh, it's, it's commendable to be able to do all of that and, and be that high in the world. When you're an amateur yeah. or sportsman, so that's and they're working in New Zealand in different, you know, companies just a regular that are not job. related yeah. to mm. the hockey team. Do you, what do you think about that system then in Japan? Would that be something that New Zealand could even leverage, having corporate-sponsored teams? What's your feeling on that? I think they do have something similar in cricket. Uh, so yes, I, I know, like big companies like ANZ, mm. Uh, mm. they they have some. Uh, like a policy where you you employ sportspersons uh, into your organization, and and I think that's a good way to look after sport and help help develop sport, especially the big organizations can can really you know help out there. And speaking of that, in business and sport, how do you think the sporting world translates into the business world with the sort of skills or attributes, or as you just said before, with the women's team here, the attacking style? How does that work with you and sort of correlating sports and business together? I think it goes hand in hand, to be honest, uh, because uh, you're working in teams, you're working with different people, you've got to develop understanding, your communication has got to be very good. Uh, you don't get along with everybody at work. 
you still have to make things work. The reality in sport is that the there is no tomorrow. I can I can't come back tomorrow and finish the job like the games today. It's played in the now, mm. and then the the outcomes are more immediate. Whereas at, at work, I can go back and you know hit the reset button, change things, maybe do something differently in the next quarter so that we can actually perform better. But uh, well, with, with us here, if we don't qualify, there is no next quarter. So uh, the pressure, I think, in sport is far greater than it is at at work. Mm. Mm. And and I definitely believe that they go hand in hand. Uh, the way we try to implement our systems, it's pretty much running in, running a company. I've got thirty five athletes under me, I've got fifteen staff, and I've got to make sure everybody is happy. And now, yeah, in the same direction. We've heard from other prominent coaches of sports here in Japan that they have trouble securing players for the national team because the company is number one. Has that come up for you in hockey as well? That is true. Even That's... even the hockey, they the can be reluctant to let players go for. That's that is true. So yeah. at, at the moment, like we are, we are not going to the Asian Champions Trophy with one of our best players. Um, so mm. it is challenging because, uh, and that's another point of difference because uh, coming from India, it's like the country's number one. With like with New Zealand as well, you're playing for your country above. above yeah, of course you go right. Yeah, that's uh, it. It happens in in hockey as well. And mm. yeah, have you developed some strategies to maybe get around that yet? Or is this still a work in progress? I mean, you haven't been here that long, but it's we've heard still... of people having to fly in and have negotiations and aisatsu with various shachos and things like the company presidents and things to get, get things happening. It's a work in progress, but uh, because it's not quite a big sport in Japan, a lot of it depends on funding. So uh, as long as we can, I think, have enough funding to sustain ourselves and look after our players, then we have some leverage. At yes. the moment, we yes. don't have leverage. So uh, I think it's still a work in progress. Hmm. I was talking to my husband about this and explaining to him he's Japanese. So I was saying, did you know that the Japanese rugby team, for example, it's really tricky to get players? And he was like, hmm. That surprises me. So he was surprised. And then he thought about it for a while. And then he came back and he said, oh, it's because the company can't protect them. If they let you have their player and you take them off somewhere in the world and something happens to them, even if it's not on the hockey pitch, the company cannot protect them. Right. And that is their number one mandate is to protect their workers and players and parents. So this is their... They're sort of supposedly <laughs> guiding thing, and it was how they make their decisions. And I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. It, I thought they were just being difficult or something. So It makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, mm. though? It's like when you go on a business trip with a company in Japan, and it might be to somewhere that, for example, if we went due to India and you thought, oh, well, I'll just tag on a few more days with my family, it's usually a bit of a no-no because the company are not there for, just like you said, Jane, in charge of you looking after you when you're there by yourself for another reason so that's that that makes a lot of sense what you've just said and to be very careful of that when you're in business 
to really be, you know, know that that's a reason behind it. Thank you to your husband for that intel, Jane. Mm, yeah, well, if you've experienced, been on the experiencing end of this, can feel really suffocating, especially as a New Zealand person. Like, I am able to make decisions for myself. You know, you, know, you don't have to look after me kind of thing. But, uh, you know, when the, when the icky brown stuff hits the whirly thing, they will step up and do whatever it is to look after you. And I've experienced that as well. And mm, yeah, it is kind of nice, <laughs> but it can be very suffocating as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's like two sides of the coin that you've got to accept both sides of it. Because um, on one, one hand, we're trying to, uh, we're a performance team. We're playing international hockey at the highest level. And uh, outcomes at the end of the day decide everything. Uh, and on the other hand, we've got to try to balance and understand the cultural aspect of uh, of the country that you're coaching as well. So uh, mm. great learning experience. I think the longer you are here and the more you show who you are and what a trustworthy coach and person you are, it's going to go a long way with the people who are, make decisions on this sort of thing. And it's going to get easier for you, I think, the long, you know, yeah. It's quite interesting, actually. Every time we have discussions, they are quite accepting of what you have to say. But I think um, it's so deep set in the culture that's very difficult to make a change. And and if the change does come about at some stage, then uh, it'll take a little bit of time because you've got to convince a lot of people. Yeah, I want to see some social proof, right? And then they might come round to it. So yeah, just don't give up. I think is the main thing. Keep banging your head. Right. That's what we, we often hear from our guests, isn't it, Catherine? Absolutely. Don't bang your head. No, try not to bang your head, but you will feel like that for a while but until you do need to do that in order to get a little bit through and push down the, the washi door, right? The paper door and, and, and get yourself a little bit further through. Well, Jude, that brings us to this big question of the one thing you know that if you're writing say a chapter in a book for coming into japan the one bit of advice that you would write in that handbook for others who are coming in say from new zealand to japan to know and that could be from your coaching perspective or as a person what should they know um, and what would you write in that handbook i would say firstly embrace it embrace the new culture it's different but it's a great culture we talk about you know growth mindset Come in with, with an open mind. Expect the unexpected as well, because it's 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 a lot different to what you know, and it's a lot different from what you're used to. So especially if you're you're, you're coming from New Zealand, it's like I've spent 21 years in New Zealand now, so I think I've got a good handle of of New Zealand. Like my my boys have have grown up there, and they grow up to be very independent, and you know, make your own decisions, make your own choices, and uh, you're in control of your own life, your own decisions, um, be prepared for that not to happen <laughs> as well, because a lot of you times said it. Yep. you have control over those things. Well noticed for someone who has not been here that long, very well noticed. Yeah, you might not always flips. be at peace with that, but yeah, Perfect. very well noticed, Jude. Yeah. Gosh, anything else that you see, Jude, that's trending in Japan that you think, oh, gosh, New Zealand could do that and help Japan with that? English language. <laughs> and I think that's, that's been for a while now. And a lot of uh, people in Japan now 
I, I got I got I got a message from one of the ex plastics girls that I coached. Her, her partner plays rugby for one of the companies here in Japan, and she's looking at uh, finding an English speaking job uh, next year. So I said, oh, I'll try and ask around, and uh, I think uh, those opportunities will be quite good. Uh, and she could play a little bit of club hockey as well. Mm, that's uh, right. She'd be very yeah. welcome, right? A decent job, uh, you know, which keeps her occupied as well. That'd oh, be she nice. could imagine getting into one of those four teams that you mentioned before and working with, you know, English and also helping to coach those teams. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, there you go. So Tell them that. <laughs> opportunity, yeah. Yeah, there are opportunities. It's just... Need to exactly. know who to ask sometimes, right? <laughs> right yeah. Is there a chance for the Sakura Japan team to visit New Zealand and play against the Black Sticks or another local team there? Is that possible? There's definitely, there wasn't the pipeline earlier this year. Uh, we were supposed to go there in April, um, but we were also touring Europe. So I had to make a choice because we were in Europe for a month uh, and we've had New Zealand for 15 days. And I had to cut one tour. So I actually chose the, uh, I, I was getting 13 matches in Europe during that time. So I, I good I, practice. I, mm, yeah. Amazing. Build, build up Asian games. Uh, yeah. But I'm in contact with uh, the high performance yeah. director of New Zealand. And uh, we're trying to get New Zealand to come here in March uh, 2024. That would be great. Let yeah. us know. Yeah, I let will. us know what's happening. Let us know. Support. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, the Australian New Zealand Chamber of Commerce in Japan has a Sports for Business Committee, and I know they'd love to hear Ooh. about this and have the players come and speak. We've done that with certain teams that have uh, come from Australia or New Zealand, and it's really great to hear it from the players. So please keep that in mind. That'd be great. Definitely. So it's it's in the pipeline, and hopefully – a lot of it uh, is riding on these qualifiers, so uh, no decision both for New, <laughs> New Zealand and Japan. So, and how, uh, yeah, wow. And how do we get to see the Sakura Japan women's team play here in Japan? Where do we get tickets or when are they playing? We, we don't have any international hockey. We had uh, France come over in July and we played four matches against France in, in Tokyo. We don't play too much of hockey in, hmm. in Japan. Mm. So we should go and support those uh, company teams, though, wherever we hear that they're playing. Absolutely. If if you're right. if you're around, uh, you know, in one of those areas that they're playing in, please do. It'd be really cool. <laughs> really I'm, cool. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> I love it. Anything else? There activities or promotions that you've got going on there with Sakura Japan or yourself that you'd like to share with us and listeners. At the moment, we're just preparing for like uh, the Asian Champions Trophy. So that's that's available online. It's a website called watchhockey.com. Hmm. Actually, see us playing there. And then the Olympic qualifiers in January will also be online, actually. So I think it will be on Watch Hockey as well. Good. That's great. There is somewhere we can see it. It doesn't. We don't have to wait for NHK or whatever to broadcast it for us. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Anything you wanted to ask the Jandals? Like, I just want to make a comment. I think it's it's a cool podcast to have, and it's a cool way to maintain that connection with with New Zealand. I immerse myself in my work so much, so I'm not really a super social person at times. It's it's great that uh, 
like your podcast can actually connect hmm. people like me, uh, you know, back to New Zealand. Wonderful. Well, please do share it with your former teammates, right? With the the Black Sticks, we'd love them to be interested in um, signing up and listening to it. Your mates that you hang around with in in Japan, we'd love them to hear it and you know share with their friends as well. That's part of the mission for us. Well, Ju, thank you so much and congratulations on being what we will call a successful jandal in Japan, 21 years in New Zealand. Goodness me, it's almost more than I had. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, and thank you so much for telling us about your story, uh, for sharing your tips for success and, the, you know, working in with the culture in Japan. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Catherine. Thank you very much, Jane. A real pleasure to be on your show. Thank you. Thank you. What a really awesome, informative to chat with Jude there. What was yeah. your takeaways, Catherine? Oh, well, I just want to say congratulations to him first up for being such an amazing Olympian. And I can see by the way he delivered everything today, his mindset, mm. his calmness must be one of the central pieces to him being really successful in his whole career, sporting uh, he was a dad. goalkeeper, right? That's pretty right. intense. Right. Goalkeepers, like it comes down to your end yeah. and it's all on you yeah. to keep the keep the other ball, keep the ball out of the cage, right? I mean, yeah. goodness, wow. Really loved it. I really am still thinking about his calmness. And he talked to us a little bit after we um, finished there talking about body language mm -hmm. and how his body language transfers to the team. So he has to be really careful because it rubs off on them. So I thought that was a real good, a really good analogy to the way that we as leaders or managers in a group or in business also, the way that we present absolutely impacts other people. It just brought it home again. So yeah. I wanted to mention that because he, he mentioned that after we yeah, kind of were about to stopped. slip away. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's not just what you say and even – like if you're in Japan, what you say could be minimal, minimally understood or come through in a minimal kind of way, but your body language, your presence, your mood, um, attitude is screaming very loudly almost, right? And you think Actually. it's not. And you think right? it's not. You, you think, think nobody notices that you're really yeah. annoyed about what just happened or whatever. Yeah, if you're storming it's inside, if you don't calm yes. it down. Yeah. Yeah, I also really loved how he said and that, you know, that one of the big comments he made about you think that you're independent in New Zealand, you think you've got your life in control, you can control all your decisions. And then you come to Japan mm. and things flip. Yeah. And you really have to be prepared to embrace the culture, have an open mind and expect the unexpected. That was mm. just gold. Yeah, nailed it. Like, if you can do that, you will be a major success here. If you can notice when you're being that, yeah, individualistic, I control all of my decisions person. Yeah, that doesn't work here very often. So, yeah, well done for noticing that. That was brilliant. And, I mean, that was my most, most biggest, <laughs> my biggest <laughs> takeaway. And I love the stats on where Japan is at and how he's, you know, wanting to bring the team. He's got a great goal. So he's got a mission. You don't arrive in Japan and then just figure out what's going to happen as it mm. comes along. But he's got that aim for the team to be top six in the world. Well, I Brilliant. just wish him just loved so how much he's taking, yeah, here. taking challenges on and going heads in, but also being such a calm 
and well-centered person the way he's doing it we can learn a lot from jude mm. thank you so much jude for today yes thank you jude i need some of your calm i'm gonna <laughs> Remember that as I go about my day here in Fukushima. Um, yeah, thank you so much for a great episode, Jude. We wish you lots of success here in Japan and keep us posted how you're going and how the team's going. We want to cheer for you as you uh, proceed with your plan to become number six in the world. Absolutely. And we yeah. laid down a challenge to Jude after we spoke as well to set up a New Zealand coaches community. In Japan, there's so many of you here. So why not? If there's yeah, anyone who's listening, get it going. Reach yeah. out to Jude and say, I want to be in your community. And it starts with just having a couple of casual drinks and going yeah. from there. Building that knowledge, um, sharing for people who are coming new into the country, for those who've been here for a longer time, um, and leaving a legacy. Jude yeah. said leaving a legacy. I think that's just absolutely brilliant. So there's the challenge. Gauntlet go, Jude. is laid down. Go, Jude. <laughs> All right. Keep listening to Jandals in Japan. More amazing episodes coming your way very soon. See ya. Bye. Thanks for listening. Make sure you check out our guests' links in the show notes. This podcast is brought to you today by Catherine O'Connell Law and Pod Launch with Jane. If you have a great story you think should be on the show, come and find us on LinkedIn or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. See you next time. Mata ne!